In this episode, Ryan and I discuss the process of applying for life insurance. We got caught up on some recent insurance business events, some of which you may be aware of. And then we touched on special topics like premium finance. We had fun. Hope you enjoy listening. Thank you. Welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery. And I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs. It's been a minute. Mr. Griggs been traveling the world, you know, been... Mm -hmm. COVID, lockdowns, so, quarantines. Yeah. So we're here January, <laughs> uh, mid-January now, 2022. Yeah, it's been a minute. And time Florida. is marching on, man. So Yeah, I was in Florida for Christmas and New Year's, kind of an extended thing. And forgot your swimming trunks, goes to Florida and forgets your <laughs> swimming suit. <laughs> yeah. Only I could do that. Did you have a good time? It was good. You know, family vacation planning is a skill that is maybe <laughs> developed and learned over time. Yep. And I'm making progress. Well, that's so. all you can hope we'll for. We'll say that. <laughs> I did have, so I, while in Florida, had a wedding to go to of some good friends. And the groom's brother, who's also a good friend, him and his wife, are into like online media and stuff. So they may end up doing some post-production for me point being is that over the break i also made good progress on like my own little home studio setup so there will be some additional videos coming in the future some new Hopefully independent in the work from mr griggs is future. on the horizon it's been on the horizon pour it on make it happen yeah <clears throat> the public awaits i know that you know you mentioned uh, event planning or vacation planning coordinating i mean I married up, like most of you have heard. And uh, my beautiful wife, Jenna, is our event coordinator when we go on vacation. And it is a skill that's developed. And it's like... A lot goes into it. Makes a difference. Or a not difference. a lot goes into it and things go badly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the more complex it is, the more fragile it is. Yeah. Anyway, so the, knowing that all these things were upcoming, I scheduled things quite a ways out you know, with clients. And so since getting back early this year has sort of been playing catch up and having a lot of those calls. And some of it's just, <laughs> you know, I, so this is I've been four and a half years or so now that I've been in this business. And the more you learn about how uh, people in the business conduct their operations is just endlessly interesting. All right, so here's a little bit of background to that. <laughs> There's no question about that. You know, the more you, yeah, it, it's just, it is what it is, you know, and I say it many times, I've said it many times, the life insurance industry deserves every black eye that they've earned. Mm -hmm. they, they allow these things to go on in the industry that's not necessarily good for the consumer, mm -hmm. right, who, uh, who, who, I mean, there, that's the person that the best interest should be kept in mind for. Right. I mean, I get it. You got to distribute your products. I get it. Every, every industry does. And you got to have that distribution system in the life insurance industry. It's agents or brokers with a license or bank employees with a license or, you know, the online through the mail. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody's got a license somewhere. So my point here is you got to have a distribution system. And 
<clears throat> you know, since you have to have one and you do have one, shouldn't you keep a pretty close eye on it? One would think so. I mean, they, they have that nice little sort of separation since most of the agents are independent contractors, right? They can, I think it's kind of like CYA for the, for the companies. They can say, Oh, that's not our employee. Oh, look, yeah. Plus the life insurance, you know, uh, contracts. And that's what that is, is they're written by lawyers. So when you sign the delivery documents, you're signing all the acknowledgements and even on the application, you know, and the disclaimers and the disclosures and, you know, depending on the product, those paper uh, stacks can be really, really thick mm -hmm. or they can be really simple. Um, and so all of this, you know, there's a purpose. Right? For the, we sat down as usual and was like, what do you want to talk about? No, I don't know. What do you want to talk about? And then you're like, well, you know, let's talk about this one thing. And yeah, so this happens. Then, right? I'm saying here, I want to talk about this. Yeah. So this this is not the only time this has occurred, yeah. but a client enters my process and come to find out he had previously engaged a, a couple other agencies, a couple other life insurance sales agencies. And I was just, I mean, you feel bad because they're, <laughs> I do feel bad, but people tell me what's going on. I'm like, this can't be serious. Yeah. And for him, and this is somebody who wants to do IBCs, read Nelson's book. He's doing stuff online. Like he's a pretty qualified client as most of my people are and so to hear that he also sort of had to endure this other process you know submitting an application signing an app applying for a life insurance policy without knowing what he's applying for yep like no illustration review now of course one was emailed to him i'm sure as quick as possible <clears throat> but no discussion and this kid he I call him a kid. He's probably older than I am, but he's got <laughs> outside conventional debt, you know, so we're going to do a, there's, there's a debt repayment process. We're incorporating with IBC and it's not the most challenging, difficult stuff in the world, but it's not immediately obvious if you haven't really thought through the steps and why to do each thing. And so he and I have had, and I think I'm pretty efficient when I'm teaching a client or talking with them, like I'm not just try, trying to, you know, waste a whole bunch of time. I mean, it took us maybe two hours of just regular, you know, on the phone talking through how it would work and why in order to get him where he would need to be in order to do this competently. Yep. And I'm like, how could you as an agent submit an application for a policy with this kind of kid and not do any of that? Like, is that is that like a legitimate question? <laughs> well, see, you see where I end up. And it's, it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah. And I think it's way more pervasive than I thought. I think I had some uh, like implicit, unspoken, inarticulated expectations for how the rest of the business operates based on my own experience and with, with clients and stuff and with Nelson and with you. And that's just not the way it is. Maybe, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not trying to write off all agents. I'm sure some are out there doing very good. We never hear from them or about them because they're very happy. Uh, but I think that's a minority of cases, <laughs> you know, and when, um, I mean, we've talked about this before, but I don't think necessarily, you know, on an episode, right. It, there is an application process to purchase life insurance. The life insurance company has a process. You have to go through underwriting. You have 
to go through suitability, right? There's um, suitability requirements in all of the financial industry. Mm-hmm. But then you have a business process is what you're really talking about of a supposedly professional. An advisory process, like where the actual advising part that, Well, that, that didn't exist in this. <laughs> no. So and it, and it speaks to their, their business process here. I don't want to talk to you. Right. right. Unless I know you're 100% qualified. And so if I require you to do an application, then I can send that to the life insurance company and the, the salesy marketing click funnel. And I'm not saying they all have click funnels that do this, but I bet most of them. (laughs) (laughs) Then, then it's like, I've got a commitment from you because you had to sign something, even though it was electronic. Yeah. Right. So there's an element already. Yeah. There's an element of commitment. You know, you've got the agreement and, and I'll guarantee there's probably sales training programs out there. So this is how you do it. That incorporates this. Yeah. 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 So now the, the consumer is supposed to feel somewhat obligated. Obligated. Yeah. Right. And then of course, uh, it's quite prevalent in the life insurance industry when you, when illustrations are ran, you know, the advisor and the agent, they want to run them at, you know, uh, the preferred or best class rating, mm-hmm. whatever it takes to get the client to say yes. <laughs> okay. And then, so, I mean, that underwriting through the life insurance company, if the application is submitted, they're going through the medical records, maybe they have to do an exam depending on the, level of the face amount, the age, and all that. Then there's an offer from the life insurance company at a rating standard, preferred, or whatever. Then the agent, who probably doesn't know how to build a life insurance illustration, can then request an illustration that matches that rating. All right, but there's no work, no effort being done to educate the client, to help them, you know, elevate or think through the idea of becoming your own banker. Oh, wait, none of this was about becoming your own banker anyway. It was about selling life insurance, wasn't it? Yeah. And and look, I mean, there are some elements to this <laughs> that I, the underlying nature of it, I can understand and I get. Like wanting to, like, like you said, the client signs an application. They sort of take an action. They're sort of already psychologically engaged in this process. And assuming angelic intentions if that's not a manipulative way to engineer an outcome if instead it's just a way to more highly qualify somebody prior to delivery i could see that being the case well that's always the way it's justified (laughs) or presented yeah but even then it misses the point of what it is to qualify a client like you do you wouldn't want (laughs) Like a genuinely qualified, that word should mean is someone who is authentically, legitimately engaged, who is motivated, who does understand what they're doing, who knows why they're applying for what they're applying for. And there is a way to qualify people and achieve that in that sense. But it's not through getting an application in right away. It's through actually having an advisory conversation. Or requiring certain things like reading a book or watching some podcasts, you know, having done, having the person do something that they, that can serve as demonstration of their interest. And maybe that help be, them, maybe help them to, help to them. decide <laughs> if this is even good for them. Yes. Or something they want to engage in. I, I mean, these same, these same, uh, 
uh, professionals, you know, and I'm using that out of respect. You know, they have a license, one of the easiest ones to get in the world, life insurance license. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. They're the, they're the same ones that, that, uh, that say, I mean, I've heard them. People have shared with me on video. We don't ask you to read a book. You don't have to read anything. Why would you? But no, you don't have to read. This is easy. We make it easy. Here, yeah. just don't even ask the health questions. Let the life insurance company's third party, you know, contractor yeah. do all do everything. Right. And then it's like, okay, well, their standard are there for then and then ask the life insurance company for an illustration that they can't build. And then uh, I don't know how many times over the last several years that people have been engaged in our process, and we do have a process in my office, and it's um, not perfect, but it's improving continually, and it's pretty dang good for what it is. Um, and it's an efficient way to determine whether this idea is appropriate for you and how it would apply to you and your family where you're, you are at. And we're all unique individuals. Your finances are not my finances. You know, there's 30 years of age difference between us. I mean, everything's different. Everybody is different, mm -hmm. right? So, and then that kind of speaks to the idea of why would you build, you know, a structure of a policy the same for everyone? It's because you don't know what the hell you're doing. And you're just trying to make it easy for the client to say yes so you can get paid. And I'm a capitalist, okay? I'm not, you know, I, I'm altruistic, but I'm, I'm a capitalist. We don't require you to read a book. Yeah. Why would you have to do that? Okay, but wait, wait. Going through our process, I don't know how many times have, have, has it come up that the client was unaware that they actually applied for life insurance policy. And so when, as a side note here, when you apply for life insurance in that application, you're giving the life insurance company the right to check your medical records, right? In, in your your uh, financial records, whether you filed bankruptcy or you're, you have liens or judgments against you. They can also tell if you have applied for life insurance in the last 24 months. And they can tell who you've applied with. They can't tell you what the premium was or the face amount. So if that comes up in underwriting. You know, the underwriter's like, James, they've applied for life insurance here and here. Talk to the client. No, no, we just, no, we didn't. They didn't no know they signed an application. And then they signed the application for multiple companies mm -hmm. without their full understanding mm -hmm. and so the agent's just trying to see what he it's a game they're playing a game with the client the consumer they're playing a game with the life insurance companies it's a game anyway there's a better way there's an easier better process yeah and i think that but that nature that way of doing business it's unfortunate for the client the client ends up in a position where they don't understand even that they may be applying for something, much less what they're applying for. Of course, they don't know how the components of what they're applying for work either, because that hasn't even come up. Yeah. Right. So it's un that's unfortunate for the client. I think it's also long run unfortunate for the agent, because the agent is dependent upon this kind of system with companies where they're just throwing applications at the wall. And you got to wonder what persistency looks like. Do people keep the policies that they get? Do you want to know? I have an idea. Yeah. <laughs> And I would, and I do, I know for sure that the premiums aren't what they should be. I mean, that the, that people who don't fully 
understand the severity of the problem of lack of control over the banking function yeah. are relatively more hesitant to pay premium. And of course they are. Why would they, why would they want to do anything different? They don't know any different. They haven't been taught anything different. It wasn't part of the agent's process to teach them anything different. And in fact, the agent may have encouraged them to not develop a better understanding by encouraging them to not read a book. <laughs> so it, it doesn't, certainly doesn't work for the client, doesn't work for the agent. Um, and I think it results in a sort of culture in the business. So you had Mike Rivas on recently, mm -hmm. client, two-parter. I think it was, one was shot in late 2020. That's how good it was, you. One of those, I just had watched it recently. But he went on and I was just amazed. <laughs> I mean, God bless him. You know, engineer, self-described numbers guy, building this. You had, we had had conversations when he was going through as a client prior to you ever. In. So I, had an idea of who this person was based on our prior conversations. And, Don't worry, I shared well, nothing but good things. So. Yeah, you know, just talking shop, you know, and the, the spreadsheet of you're going to build the big old spreadsheet and, you know, two part thing. Y'all should go watch because at the, it's worth it. At the end of the, well, middle to the end of the second part, he says, and, and did not really allude to this much in the first, I was surprised that he said that, that the whole spreadsheet was wrong. That he had to re that he had to change the variables of interest, that the way he calculated everything changed. Everything. And so I'm sitting there wondering, like, how many hours went into attempting to perfect this yeah. thing? And why? Okay, so he's a numbers person, he has a certain proclivity for that. But why feel the need to go through all that in the first place? And I'm like, oh wait, he had what he said were like 14 other illustrations. He had talked with a bunch of other agents. Well, I wonder how those conversations went. I would imagine, just guessing, it's pure speculation, I haven't talked to Mike, but just speculating here, that probably those other agencies either uh, capitulated or, or actively participated in getting him illustrations as soon as possible. And here, sign here, you know, everything we're talking about. And no wonder that would create an air of skepticism or sure. antagonism, or I don't understand, or who knows if these people are being honest with me or whether I got to take all these, this, these illustration outputs, none of, none of which is contractual. It's just numbers on a page. I got to take all these data. I got to combine them. I got to run averages and I got to put them into a spreadsheet that I build. Cause if I build it, I know what it is. I'm not getting it from somebody else. So I can trust it more. I mean, to go, it's just, just one example yeah. from one person of the kind of costs that come from this culture that's based on this style of doing business. It's a, you know, uh, I have a saying and, and I talk with a lot of uh, people in the industry, you know, in the home offices and different, you know, places. And, and my belief is bad business uh, or no business is better than bad business. All right. Because the outcome is not good. It's not good for the client. It's not good for, you know, the agent or advisor who's dependent upon them. And I've talked about dependency for years. Um, but it's also not good for the life insurance company either. Right, and I'm not taking up for the life insurance company, but it costs them money to put new policies on the books. They do not make money for some period of years, which most people wouldn't really believe. And they sure probably wouldn't have any empathy for the life insurance company unless it's a mutual company and you are part owner. And then you, by being part owner, because that's who owns a mutual life insurance company, you receive a non-guaranteed dividend based on the company's financial experience for that year. 
So it does cost a life insurance company. You look at the persistency rate, how long business stays on the books and pays premium. It's very low with that kind of marketing. There is no market. Well, it's all marketing. There's no education. There's no, in my opinion, legitimate financial relationship or advisory relationship. Um, it costs the life insurance company money. Because that if the if that business doesn't stay on the books, if there is no persistency, look at all of the time that was wasted, the the un the resources that were misallocated. It's horrendous. It's horrendous. Now there are plenty of stock. Look, there are plenty of stock companies that that are there, which are typically a little bit more profitable on their products and mutual companies that just promote the fire out of that. They don't care. They buy into the idea of like, well, yeah, you throw it on the wall and see what sticks because they're probably going to sell that block of business to the next hedge fund that comes around or the next private equity group that comes around. They're just going to cash flow it out. Okay. Um, So the insurance company, uh, it does cost them money. Mm -hmm. Right. And then if we, if we, and it's not good for the consumer, I mean, if it's not good for them, why even bother to to participate in capitalism? Yeah. If you're going to participate over a long time period, mm. right? It's not going to be good. All right. If I mentioned Mike Rivas, oh, go ahead. No, you're fine. Mike Rivas, you know, 14 or 15 illustrations. He said, I believe he said it in the first part, or I did, um, he got the illustrations off of the internet looking at different presentations freeze frame it pull the numbers off <laughs> now he did talk to several agents and they sent several illustrations um and then yeah. you know all that time effort and energy and it's a passion for him that's what he does he loves numbers and he and, you know he's that's what he creates right i'm smiling because i had a illustration review with the client yesterday and towards the end of the illustration review, which just comes at the end of the process, do an hour, everything we talked about, you know, you already know what's coming, but we just see it on the page and it's like good confirmation before an application. And he asked, you know, so are you going to send this to me? I said, no, at the end of the underwriting, when we have an offer from the company and I know your underwriting set, I mean, I don't send out information I don't know to be true. So we're going to determine the underwriting status. Then of course, yeah. And just as I finish saying that i hear the the phone camera noise <laughs> in the background yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm like okay well <laughs> you can still hold those numbers if you like um or you could set it aside and we'll get you accurate ones when we know that there's an offer from the company you know this is it's from the premise that you're hiding something or you're withholding yeah. something from them right so then you're being yeah. judged by another's character yeah and it's it always super, super fun. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, well, you're all the same, right? Well, I'm interested in the infinite banking concept, and, you know, you're all the same. No. Yeah. No, we're not all the same. Yeah, then this was definitely one where, you know, you can tell the kind of research people have been doing by the questions they ask. And, <laughs> you know, he's yeah. using all the kind of terminology that's on some of these other channels, and it's like... I mean, you can spend as much. It's just like with this spreadsheet of truth thing. You can spend as much time in that as you want. You know, it, it, how long do you want to get? Do you want to take to get to the optimal outcome? <laughs> you can take as long as you want. Uh, I don't know. I, I think a lot of this comes from just an unwillingness to return to Nelson and. 
Well, well, that means that they were at Nelson and then wondered. Yeah, well, this is true. Yeah, no, I mean, it, there may be some of that. There's, there's uh, the the in, either the inability or the choice not to expand your thinking. This is not about interest rates. It's not about investments of any kind. This is about who is controlling the banking function as it relates to you and your family. Yeah, is there a rate of return? Of course, there is. You know, you cannot put on a life insurance illustration the rate of return that you enjoy from the use collaterally of that cash value. I mean, it's it is utterly it's almost ridiculously simple. And that's quote unquote from Nelson Nash. This is ridiculously simple. Yeah. But if you're afraid to pay a premium, i.e. you're afraid to capitalize. Right. And then the whole life, well, you know, we all know whole life is the world's worst place to put money. Right, yeah. That's why all the banks put their money there. And <laughs> I mean, hey. so you got to expand your thinking, get past the noise. But then, if you're the if you're new, if you're freshly or newly exposed to the idea of the infinite banking concept, you don't. It's hard sometimes to distinguish what is noise and what is not noise. Right? It's okay to take an appropriate amount of time for you, and it maybe it's different for all of us. I get it. To uh, to vet us to bet what you're seeing and what you're listening to i mean it's okay i get it nobody has time to waste i get it but you know from this process of just oh here's an illustration and you know oh it looks good to me i don't really know what i'm looking at but it looks good to me and then you engage you pay a premium and then they're unavailable you know what there's no follow-up calls there's no and then year two premium comes around or year three and, oh, we didn't talk about where I was going to get the money for that. Or things maybe didn't work out. Right? Yeah. It's so interesting in all these little stories because we have a, a news thing here that you mentioned. <laughs> but there's little themes of what we're talking about manifest here, too, about what goes on in the industry generally. This is about uh, premium financed indexed universal life. So it's certainly not ibc per se and there's two two different you can premium finance with any life insurance product okay this is talking about premium finance with iul two problems combining (laughs) okay two separate problems combining to compound a, a good one yeah so this is in forbes it was in november of 21 so fairly recent the title is free multi the title Quote, free multi-million dollar life insurance, end quote, has some insurers running for the exits. I remember late, well, no, last year, year before even, getting literature from life insurance companies emailed talking about how to sell a premium finance case. Yeah, some of them like it. One company I'm thinking of on, well, on the East Coast, let's say, that we're familiar with, uh, still is... That that they love it. They love. They do webinars and oh yeah, hey, this agents. This is how you do it. <laughs> well, you know, look, uh, IUL Index Universal Life is one of the most profitable products for a life insurance company. Make no mistake. Yeah, so it, I don't out. really have clarity <laughs> on which is more profitable: term life insurance or indexed universal life insurance. But I think it's indexed universal life just because of the volume of premium. Very profitable for the life insurance companies, and that's, of course, why they promote it, right? Um, 
But then you have a more conservative type company and more conservative type outlook. And they may, they may do engage in some premium finance, but there's a place restrictive. Yeah. There's a legitimate place. I've I've had clients ask about, you know, premium finance, borrowing money. And I'm like, okay, if you want to do that, this is how it's going to work, right? We're going to, letters are going to be exchanged from the bank to the company. Like it's all going to be sorted out on paper. You have to have an authentically like legitimate reason, a a shortage of cash flow right now, but an expectation of cash flow in the future. And yeah. Yeah, And you've got to be insurable and you, and you've got, I mean, there, there has to be, uh, the insurable interest must be there. And we're just talking about how to pay a premium when it comes to premium financing. But all of that, uh, and this has been my position, it's like, wait a minute, now we're in the lowest interest rate environment ever. 6,000 years of recorded history. Your whole lifetime, this is it. This is the lowest interest rate environment ever. Now I've had the ability to say that for some time. Okay, so if I'm (laughs) borrowing money, Right, premium finance. I'm borrowing money to pay a premium. Well, pray tell, aren't you engaging in the? Uh, you're surely not becoming your own banker. And this has this article has nothing to do with becoming your own banker. Yeah. Um, but you see this in the infinite banking footprint too. Yeah, these kinds but, of things. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So here's yeah. a little snippet from their expo- from the article. The Authors are Lee Felt, L-E-E-F-E-L-D-T, and Denise, D-A-N-I-S-E, if y'all want to look it up. But anyway, uh, the subsection says, hanging on to assets. Okay, Premium financed IUL is a conduit to help wealthy people retain their substantial holdings of real estate and other investments that they don't wish to sell. Instead, they buy multi-million dollar life policies, IUL, without expending the big cash payments necessary to finance them. So without paying large premiums out of their own pocket is what he means. Here's how it works. A life insurance agent locates a banker or lender willing to provide a large loan to the person who is buying the policy. Theoretically, the loan will be paid back using the cash value that's building inside this big insurance policy. And the policy owner won't have to take a dime out of their own pocket to pay premium. When insurance agents sell these policies, they often use a set of life insurance policy illustrations, quote unquote, to show clients that they'll make a ton of money in the future through the gains in cash value. Supposedly, maybe the most important word we've said the whole time, supposedly the gains will be so great that the person can simply take money from the cash value to pay the loan bill that's due each month to the bank. In other words, and essentially, quote unquote, free multi-million dollar life insurance policy facilitated yeah. with fancy illustrations oh no question <laughs> and let's let's be clear on a couple of things here there's a lawsuit involved with this particular case because the very accomplished man quote unquote uh loses money in the whole transaction right yeah, in fact, in this particular case, he's a he is an advisor to television production companies and a multimillionaire. And the court the 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 suit has been filed in Los Angeles court. So he's a he's a Hollywood person. Yeah, so tell me how So a Hollywood person and a life insurance agent walk into a bar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're you're like an astute businessman, right? Nothing works yeah. out well. <laughs> free, yeah, I want free. I want forty million dollars of life insurance for free. Let's just leave it right there. And think about that, okay? And what what sales skills these guys must have? Oh wait, there's some sales skills potentially. Um, 
But the guy's not innocent. The guy's not innocent. I want forty Come million on. dollars in free hey, life. What could go wrong there? Everything worked out. Oh my god. <laughs> you mean if there wasn't a problem? problem? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But Lynn, and then the you you quoted the uh, authors of this. They mentioned the word cash value several times. They do. That Keep is a that. miss. That is not that no. Yeah. That is an account value. In indexed universal life. And I know even some of the life insurance companies want to blend off and, you know, muddy the water on terms. I wonder why. Okay. That's account. That's an account value, not a cash value in an indexed universal life policy. So the, the way it worked out for him, which you just referred to, it says the bottom line for Gary Morenzi, who's the individual, the millionaire television person for Gary Marenzi, was that it wasn't long before his quote-unquote free life insurance policy wasn't free. According to his lawsuit, he was told within a few months, yeah. a few months, that he needed to come up with more money for, for this policy. What? Quote, that wasn't supposed to cost him anything. And then came the surprise demand for additional collateral. Who's demanding loan. that? Hmm. hmm. Probably those what? with the gold. Yeah, yeah. Make the rules. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the bank. Right, right. Probably the the banker. banker. He has to go make some rules. Yeah, yeah. The banker. What What do you mean? Additional collateral. You didn't underwrite it correctly in the beginning? <laughs> what? Oh, but wait. They would They would love to repossess assets, including the life insurance policy, yeah. because they'll sell it. Why? Because there'll be some hedge fund or some... You know, private equity group that'll buy that, repackage it, and sell it as, you know, derivatives in the last settlements market. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty of profits, uh, you know, following a trail like this. But I do, I did highlight here, um, Elaine Tumiki, vice president of LIMRA. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, says that index universal life insurance sales are up 20%. And then previously, the statements made, which is true, and that that statement is true as well, from what market research shows, and that's what Limer does, it provides an awful lot of information to the life insurance industry. As the stock market continues to soar, IUL policies have become one of the life insurance industry's most profitable products. Wonder why they promote the fire. Well, they illustrate very, very well. Which didn't really work out for this guy because there's a premium call if you're an investment advisor or if you're an investor in these life settlements or they're just a premium do if you're an owner, right? More premium. And then uh, hanging on to assets, premium finance, IUL, or just premium finance is a conduit to help wealthy people maintain their substantial holdings in real estate and other investments that they do not wish to sell. Now, look, let's, let's talk about real estate for a moment, right? Private property, an appreciating asset, a cash flowing asset. There's a a deferred benefit in the future when you sell it. Um, hmm. You look at life insurance. It's a private asset. It's an appreciating asset. It's a cash flowing asset. And there's a deferred benefit in the future. You're going to graduate, and there's going to be a death benefit paid to somebody. So there's, but it, you know, it doesn't take renters either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you don't have to be a landlord. I'm just saying that if you look at the characteristics of life insurance, so the concept could potentially work in specific areas, right? The product is wrong, number one, right? Um, and I'm just saying that if you, uh participate 
in real estate and you participate in becoming your own banker, if you're building a correct foundation, properly structured life insurance for the proper reasons, uh, you could do very, very well. Um, and it's it's worth investigating. They wanted to allege that he hoped to gain $40 million in free money. I mean, that must be a serious premium. Look, there's a – yeah, yeah, no question. Yeah, you know, at least four or five. Some, you don't know how old the guy is. It could be four, five, six million dollars. That's what I'm wondering is how old he right. was too. And then how much? How much? Uh, how much in collateral do you think the guy had to put up to pay a four million dollar premium? Is that an annual premium? Four million a year? You think a banker is going to require three million dollars in assets for a four million dollar loan? Yeah, right. It's all kinds of real estate, I'm sure. Yeah, he didn't want to. He didn't want to sell the real estate to pay the premium, but he's happy to give a collateral assignment to the real estate to the bank so they can pay the premium. And look how yeah. it's working out. And hope nothing goes wrong. Yeah, right? yeah. Now, I bet there wasn't any shutdowns. Or, and I don't know where his real estate is. I don't know if it's in New York. And then there's a moratorium on evictions. You know what could go wrong in the real estate world when the government comes in with their onerous regulations? When the, yeah, when the CDC declares that they can control your property. Mm. From- oh wait, we didn't even talk. About, I bet they never had a conversation in the beginning. The two life insurance agents, right? In <laughs> <laughs> the bank, the bank was just like, "Yeah, no problem. Let me see all those account values." Are you kidding? That loan processor was like, yes, <laughs> sign here. Yeah, he's getting paid to sell the loan, right? Exactly. One point, the half bank a point. already sold the loan. <laughs> oh my gosh. But everybody's getting paid, but the consumer. And the, the consumers client. in a lawsuit. Yeah, and he's paying for it all. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the attorneys. Who's going to pay for all that? Yeah, they're going to get paid. Everybody's going to get paid. Everybody's getting paid, except, except this guy loses except his money. The client's family. Yeah, Ooh, no, I mean, I and expecting look, the money. Hopefully, uh, he didn't lose assets. Right. I mean, what if you, you have an outstanding loan and they're, you know, to the bank, right? And you're. I wonder what the company is. We should look at the. I don't want to mention the company's name. There's look in the in the life insurance industry. There are particular banks that love this type of business, mm-hmm. right? And then there are life insurance companies that. That ride as much of it as they can. <laughs> that will take. That will do it. Yeah. Yeah. So there are. This is about IUL. It's not I, IBC related, obviously. But there are certain things about this article, about what happened to this guy, um, that pertain to certain things that are going on in the world of IBC, right? So one thing that because I've been we've been hard. I've been hard on blended term PUA riders where the fundamental flaw is that there's annually renewing death benefit in there. Well, where'd That's that come one from? one fundamental flaw. There are more flaws in sure. blended PUAs. Yeah. But where did that where, where did that idea come from of using annually renewing term? Huh? Well, of course it came from UL, from Universal Life, where there's the, the, the life insurance element is annually renewing term. <laughs> so that's sneaking in, right? There's all these ways in which Stuff that goes on in IUL that leads to stuff like this lawsuit sneaks in to other things like the world of IBC or online IBC education. Another one is the idea of indexing, right? So now the big companies are coming out with dividend index writers, right? You can index your dividend, right? Man, I got my chops busted over that four or five years ago. Some companies that I particularly own and like, they came out with that. And I'm like, no, I'm not interested. And so they, they, the, the life insurance company, then, you know, of course, they send that ability, the information, which is rightly so, to the consumer. You have the, uh, you want to index your dividend? And then my, you know, I'm getting, I'm 
lot of calls. I got a lot of calls back in the day and I'm like, no, we're not doing that. If you want, if you want to purchase an index, if you want to do all that, you go do all that. Right. This is life. And you just want a legitimate dividend. Does a company pay dividends? <laughs> okay. That's all you want. And, and, uh, you know, some armchair quarterbacks or maybe there, I really got pushback from other agents. My can, my clients are like, oh, okay, that makes sense. The and other agents liked the dividend. They love it. And they're like, no, you're wrong for not doing it. I'm like, okay, well, how's that working out for you now? Yeah. Okay. I've seen the three years of flat zero dividends because you indexed it. Now, this year it might be up. I don't know. Oh, wait, the company. And they don't know either. Dividend. No, they don't know. <laughs> uh, and then the, the, the last element is this, uh, you know, doing business with, with other banks, premium financing, got to go borrow the money to get the <clears> premium <throat> paid. Well, you know, a lot of these company, a lot of these, these agents who work with these direct recognition companies, one in which I'm thinking of in particular related to that story we told at the very beginning where the guy got, went through this quote unquote process where he submits an application first, doesn't know what he's applying for, hadn't yeah. having any advisory conversation. Okay, well, it turned out the company that went to was a direct recognition company. Well, you're right. And then, you know, there's articles on this agent's website talking about, you know, we recognize that direct recognition means that if you have a loan balance, then the dividend could go down. Uh, so here's what you do. You just go get a cash value line of credit. Right, you just go give a collateral assignment to the policy to- An I block, I think the I block, IBC, you know, uh, Line of credit. Yeah, line of credit. Yeah. yeah. It's all sorts of, there's all the marketing names, but essentially. It's premium financing is what it is. Yeah. There are life insurance companies out there that are direct recognition um, or have a very high fixed loan rate. They have trained their agents for decades. Go get a relationship with, with a, a bank. banker. So the bank can lend money at a much lower interest rate. And the and the agent, he's getting paid, doesn't think it through, whatever. He's like, yeah, that's a great idea. Maybe I can sell the banker some life insurance, too, and <laughs> ask for referrals from him. Uh, you know, whatever. That's and a, then it's a lead gen opportunity. Yeah. And then that way, you know, you, you your 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 dividends are paid, you're paying a lower interest rate. Same samey samey, as Nelson would say, samey samey. What happens if something goes wrong? What could possibly go wrong? You've collateralized your policy at the bank. And I'm just telling you, a local banker out there, whomever you are, thanks for listening. If you want to learn about the infinite banking concept, just give me a call. <laughs> but if you loan money on dividend-paying whole life insurance policies and you have to collateralize and or call that note, I'm a buyer. I'm just saying I'm a buyer. It's not good for the consumer. It's not good for anyone but the life insurance company and the owner of the policy. Right? Same thing is like, well... Uh, real estate is a great idea, James. Here, you know, the all your money's tied up in your primary residence. Go get a HELOC on your home. And then we'll go buy a big old life insurance policy. Collateral, collateral, leverage, leverage. Don't worry. You know, it's going to grow forever. And then we'll just withdraw PUA and pay off the loan or whatever their exit strategy, if they even presented an exit strategy is. Mm -hmm. And it's like, isn't that great? And then here comes the, the pandemic. How would you like to own real estate in New York City today? How about Washington? How about Seattle? Chicago. Oh, my gosh. You name it, yeah. No, apparently everybody wants to buy property in Texas and Florida. I'm just saying, look, and I'm not, uh, I'm not implying that everybody in the real estate industry lost money. I'm not, but there's a lot of people who lost some money in mm -hmm. cash flows. 
Yeah. Because it's something out of their control. Well, they went and just got a PPP loan. Seeing that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Ooh. Anyway, I thought that was an interesting story. And then there's one more. This went around. Well, wait, wait, wait. They, oh, the, because even the life insurance companies, now they're kind of, the article alludes to a oh, few yes. life insurance companies yep. that are like going to put more restrictions on it. You know, one of them, very large life insurance company. Well, you know, they just point out the <laughs> interest rate risk that is inherent to premium financing, uh, of course. And then there's the time element, right? Well, it's pretty hilarious, by the way, that it's AIG that's pointing out the interest rate risk. <laughs> well, look, I love that. The, uh, if anybody can, knows about interest rate risk, it's AIG. Yeah, and especially their investment arm. We can talk about AIG and the collapse and how that company, a legitimate life insurance company, was oh. prostituted with the central banks around the world. But that's a whole nother episode. Um, you know, the, the free life insurance Oh, you already pointed out that the the third party lender uh, demanded more collateral, which is a bit you know the idea. People don't know you know demanding more collateral. You know, we had this yeah. agreement. You gave a collateral assignment to such and such property. Things worked out differently, right? The source of the the thing that was responsible for providing the cash flow to pay the bank, namely this alleged growth in the cash account value of these IUL policies was insufficient. Of course, what a surprise because the, what, what the, what the agent gave in the illustration to the banker to show them what would be the rise in the value, the illustration itself there at that point was already wrong. So we, we've baked in the, the bad news, right? But that's what the banker said. Okay, sure. It's coming. It's CYA. Banker has a document from another third party. Perfect. And then and bet your rear end that there's all sorts of disclosures in the loan agreement between the bank and the borrower client who's agreeing that if for whatever reason things go wrong, guess who's responsible to make up the difference? Well, of course, it's the borrower lend uh, borrower client which is fine. There's a five million dollar loan. We have six million dollars in collateral. I'm OK with that. Yeah, they go on to say that this may not be a good idea for the consumer in their own <laughs> language, right? <laughs> but in one of the uh, discouragements was, uh, and the client, the clients also have to watch out for taxable gains whenever they withdraw cash value. You know what? Even in the infinite banking footprint, nobody talks about what happens in the future if your policy becomes a mech. Nobody talks about what happens when your policy lapses, ceases to exist. Some right. of this stuff is difficult because I'll, you know, I'll get current clients who have stuff like this. Maybe it's a policy from a direct recognition company. They're paying a big old premium. Maybe the, maybe it's even worse than that. Then maybe there's a blended term PUA writer. Maybe there's insufficient base and the, the, the illustration comes out. Everything looks fine. You know, there's not, not there's not going to, there's not going to be a mech, right? This illustration as illustrated is not a modified endowment contract. Okay, or the policy as illustrated is not a modified endowment. Okay, fine. But you see that and you're like, hmm. Like if I, you know, and you start, I really don't tell people what to do. Or you're just like, look, we're just gonna talk through what this is. Right. We need to understand what it is and then you can make a decision for yourself. And you start talking about how- You mean you trust your prospective clients to have enough intelligence to make a decision in their own best interest? What a concept. <laughs> you have the ability 
to determine if something is good for you or not. Wow. People and and they, people need to be encouraged with that because they no really question. do. You can get to a place where, and you don't have to be a master of life insurance. You don't have to, you know, be signing up to get your agent's license or anything. But you, <laughs> a, a, an intelligent thinking person. But I want to get paid for referrals, can, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, another episode. <laughs> <laughs> an intelligent thinking person can come to a point where they understand why they're doing what they're doing, why they're going to pay the amount of premium, why that premium is structured a certain way, why it's going to go to a certain company and not another, wh- how they're going to utilize that policy to perform the banking function, namely through policy loans, not through this, you know, partial surrender withdrawal thing. And then I get to the point where, it's, and it, this occurred to me, it dawned on me the other day as I'm talking to a client, I'm like, do you know that every, in every illustration in becoming your own banker, Nelson shows a cash flow late in life? He assumes in all of the, that, that the way in which these examples are oriented is Nelson is showing that, look, there's this benefit for you out in the future where you can benefit from the purchasing power from the capital that you've accumulated in these contracts. Now, in the book, the mechanism by which that cash flow goes from the policy, from the company to the individual is a partial surrender or a dividend withdrawal or a combination of the two. However, there's that point in becoming your own banker where Nelson says if he was an agent, of course, if he was here with us today and he was an agent and he was advising a particular client, he would say, don't do that. Use a policy loan instead. But the underlying point is there. There's this all this capital built up in these policies and there's there are mechanisms and we can assume some in the illustrations and then there's others that are more optimal, like a policy loan that you can use to benefit from that, to provide a cash flow on a tax free basis late in life. And it's like so. And that's in the book. It's it's in the book that started IBC. But you need and, to read a book. And so I tell people, I'm like, this is part of the deal. Like one use of, I talk about capital, this is a capitalization strategy. One major use of capital is the provision of passive cash flow late in life. Others have called it retirement. We'll set that aside. But you might like to have some cash flow late in life. Okay, if my dividend is a, a, responsible for a third, a half, of my annual cash value growth late in life, and I'm gonna purposefully take policy loan, or I'd like the ability to purposefully take policy loans that I may or may not repay in order to provide for some passive cash flow on a tax-free basis late in life. And, I, and that policy is with a direct recognition company. So I've now given the company the necessary groundwork in the form of uh, uh, an indebted, a policy loan indebtedness to reduce or eliminate my dividend. That's supposed to be responsible for a significant portion of the increase in the value of the collateral backing my loan balance. Now you're just using common sense. Why would I want to be in that position? Reason, or let me say, reason and logic. There's some common sense in there too. Well, who would want to be? Who would want to be in that position? Nobody, if they if they understood that, right? But then you have the agents out there saying. Uh, you know, direct recognition, non-direct recognition. That's just a marketing scheme. That's a marketing gimmick. If, you know, you're discouraged to consider a direct recognition company, that's just a marketing gimmick. And then I've seen one where they go on to try to prove that statement. <laughs> like direct, non-direct doesn't matter, right? And here's why. Let me illustrate it. Equal premium on two completely differently, uh, the policies are structured completely different, but they show an equal, they illustrate an equal premium for 10 years and then no premium beyond and then do loans from the 
11, in the 11th year and beyond. And the dividend, right, is about $80 off, which is minuscule to the loan amount. There was no banking for the first 10 years whatsoever. None. And it's an invalid support for an invalid argument that it makes no difference. Yeah. I mean, and, and but that's what the consumer, the, the that's what they're looking at. They're like, all of these god-awful illustrations and weak arguments. And it's like, eh, okay, I, I'm completely clear now. <laughs> it's so the you I know there's a lot of life insurance agents and advisors that listen. Thank you. But if you if you you know participate in these things, you know, getting paid on the loan, you go be a loan broker. And then you want to get paid on being a life insurance agent, then be a life insurance agent. I mean, you do what you want to do, but uh try to do better. It's my encouragement. Well, so you mentioned that they assume no banking for those first 10 years in that example. Yeah. And that's where the commercial banker comes in. Oh, you want to bank? You want to borrow? You want to utilize cap? Just cash value line of credit. Yeah. Yeah. So you paid interest to that banker. Just like you paid interest to the life insurance company if you were banking in the first 10 years. Except your interest payments will be monthly through. But even worse than that, even worse than that, I mean, when I seen that and the illustration was shared with me or this, you know, example, I know the companies that are being illustrated. I understand the structure of the policies that you can't see beyond that one page in in a life insurance illustration is invalid without all pages. So if you have someone sending you a page or marking up pages, it should be a red flag for you, consumer. Okay? Anyway. (laughs) Looks like we went a little long, so we'll see you guys next time in part two. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.